Hello and welcome to the Silver King's War. I'm Michael Sievers, the writer, producer, and creator of this podcast series about my father's Second World War as a B-26 bombardier. Today we continue in the review of Stanley's War. It's 1940 spring and Stanley is ready to graduate from Woodlawn High School in Birmingham, Alabama. Woodlawn High School opened in 1916, seven years before Stanley was born. As Stanley began his freshman year in high school, it was 1936, and the WPA Federal Art Project commissioned a mural by Richard Coe and Sidney Van Schaak for the high school. And it was completed the year Stanley began high school. The inscription of the mural read, Gloried be thy who, forsaking unjust riches, strive in fulfillment of humble tasks for peace, culture, and the equality of all mankind. The WPA Art Project, a federal program of the Works Progress Administration was one of many that was designed, built, and operated to bring America out of the Great Depression that began with the stock market crash in October of 1929. Of course, as avid followers of our hero, the Silver King, throughout his war, you know that the development of the nation's arsenal of democracy played a key role in pulling the nation from the depths of the Depression. And the arsenal was underway to develop the war machinery that helped propel the Allies to victory in the Second World War. As Stanley was finishing high school and making summer plans, the fall of France was underway in Europe. France had declared war on Germany on September 3, 1939, following the German invasion of Poland. On May 10, 1940, German armies invaded Belgium, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands, and then Italy entered the war in June of 1940. Germany's quick strike forces began their operation on June 5, 1940. With their combined superiority in the air and on the ground, the German armies outflanked what was then the intact marginal line and pushed deep into France, reaching and occupying Paris unopposed on June 14. Quickly, the French government was in flight, and the army collapsed, and the German commanders met with French officials on June 18th to negotiate an end to the fighting. The second armistice of Copenhagen was signed by France and Germany on June 22, 1940, and the neutral Vichy government led by Marshal Philippe Pitain replaced the Third Republic. The Italian invasion of France over the Alps took a small amount of territory, and after the armistice, 
on June 22nd, Italy occupied a small area in the southeast of France. The Vichy regime retained the Libre zone, the free zone in the south. Following the Allied invasion of French Africa in November of 1942, the Germans and the Italians took control of the free zone until it was liberated by the Allies in 1944. As Stanley finished his summer of work and play, the Germans, Italians, and Russians were thundering throughout Europe in pursuit of riches, resources, and territory. That fall, Stanley enrolled at the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana with great hopes of enjoying student life, perhaps playing for the baseball team and being close enough to consider a visit or two to Chicago, where his sister Leona was enrolled at Northwestern University in Evanston. That fall, Stanley decided to study business and commerce, and he joined the Reserve Officer Training Corps, known as ROTC. And many miles away, miles from the cornfields that surrounded Stanley's campus, Martin Manufacturing was busy designing and building the B-26. The fall of 1940, of course, was the campaign for FDR's third term as President of the United States. And it was a very intense time because as the war in Europe grew, there was great unrest at home about whether America would be forced to enter the war. As Election Day loomed in November, FDR continued to push the manufacturers who were the backbone of America's arsenal of democracy for more production, more war material. And that included adding an additional 990 B-26 planes. And this was before a single B-26 had been completed. FDR was pursuing his 50,000-plane program throughout North America. And that meant that a second plant at Martin Manufacturing would be built at Middle River. With construction and production underway simultaneously, the first B-26 was unveiled in November of 1940, and its size, speed, and futuristic appearance impressed every observer. Upon seeing the B-26 1940 model, the British immediately ordered 459 new planes, and they, of course, were the troops who named the plane the Marauder. As Stanley pursued his first season of studies as a college man, FDR won re-election to a third term as President of the United States. Stanley was, of course, 
deeply involved with ROTC, being a good student and also fully aware of what loomed on his personal horizon. Before the election that fall, FDR had signed the Selective Training and Service Act in September. And of course, that meant the draft. Stanley had anticipated the new Selective Service Act. There was a lot of discussion and writing about it throughout the summer and fall of 1940. And that, in part, compelled Stanley to join ROTC in preparation for what he imagined might be his war. Stanley had a very good first term at the University of Illinois, and he returned from his holiday break at the beginning of 1941 to what was an important social milestone in his freshman year. Stanley had decided to join a Jewish fraternity in the fall rush season of 1940. And on February 23, 1941, Stanley was initiated into the Phi Epsilon Pi fraternity Psi chapter. His official document for the initiation was covered by the Grand Seal of the Phi Epsilon Pi fraternity, and it read, This is to certify that Stanley L. Silverfield is a member of the Phi Epsilon Pi fraternity, initiated February 23, 1941, Psi Chapter, University of Illinois. Stanley, now two months from his 18th birthday, was a Phi Ep man, and for him that was a big deal. He loved the social life on the Champaign-Urbana campus, and being a real member of the fraternity meant that that spring season was perhaps the finest of his early years. As Stanley finished his first full year as a college student in the late spring of 1941, he was going to decide whether or not to return to the campus following fall for his second year. He wasn't sure what was ahead in terms of how the Selective Service Act would be implemented, and he wanted to discuss his options with his folks at home. Throughout the summer of 1941, as Stanley worked for the family's burgeoning business in scrap, steel, and other commodities, he and his folks discussed his options for a second school year. And together, they decided that he would not return to Illinois, that he would continue to work for the family and follow the events in Washington in terms of the implementation and the schedule for how the Selective Service Act would work. The Silverfields of Birmingham, like families throughout the United States, was following the European War very closely. They read the newspapers every day and, of course, listened to the news 
at night to learn of the latest developments and discuss the war in Europe and, of course, the pending dark clouds on the American home front. Stanley's future and that of America as a nation changed on December 7th, 1941, when Japan staged a surprise attack on Pearl Harbor, destroying the U.S. Pacific Fleet, and when Germany and Italy declared war on the United States days later, America was about to enter a global war. The Pearl Harbor attack delivered a stark end to a decade of change in Asia. Beginning in 1931, Japan began building a Japanese empire in Eastern Asia when it invaded Manchuria, searching for a fertile and research-rich province. Japan's aggression was denied by the United States when it refused to recognize any new regime that was forced upon China under what was called the Stimson Doctrine, which was named after America's Secretary of State and its future Secretary of War, Henry L. Stimson. America's ambivalence about Japanese work to create its growing empire meant that things were in turmoil in the United States as well. America was looking the other way and, in fact, continued to offer supplies to Japan for steel and fuel as it was fighting with the Chinese in what became a complete war by 1937. American politics was struggling with what became a growing isolationist movement in the U.S., and that meant that politics around the world were far away for many Americans and some of their political leaders. As America's attention to war focused on what was happening in Europe, in the summer of 1940, President Roosevelt made a decision to terminate the shipments of scrap iron, steel, and aviation fuel to Japan, even as it allowed American oil to flow to the empire of Japan. Japan responded to FDR's decision by entering French Indochina with permission from the Nazi-occupied French government, and that created a strong alliance with Germany and Italy in what became the Axis powers. And in July of 1941, Japan moved into southern Indochina, preparing to attack British Malaya and seek their sources of rice, rubber, and tin. And they invaded the oil-rich Dutch East Indies. And this, in turn, prompted President Roosevelt to freeze all Japanese assets in the United States on July 26, 1941, and that effectively cut Japanese access to American oil. 
As American and Japanese representatives search for a diplomatic solution, the United States, of course, insisted that Japan withdraw its troops from China and Indochina. On November 26th of 1941, U.S. officials presented the Japanese with a 10-point statement reiterating its long-standing position. And the Japanese Imperial Navy then ordered an armada that included 414 planes aboard six aircraft carriers to begin the journey to destroy the United States Pacific Fleet based at Pearl Harbor in Hawaii. The ships traveled 3,500 miles under strict radio silence, and they arrived at the Hawaiian island of Oahu on Sunday morning, December 7th, and began at 6 a.m. an initial wave of Japanese planes that were followed by wave after wave in subsequent hours. The damage to the American fleet was extensive, but ironically, there were no American aircraft carriers at Pearl Harbor that morning. The Japanese followed their Pearl Harbor assault with attacks against U.S. and British bases in the Philippines, Guam, Midway, Wake Island, Malaya, and Hong Kong. And, of course, within days, the Japanese were masters of the Pacific. And America had entered World War II. As 1941 concludes and America enters the war, we have reached the end of this episode of the review of Stanley's War. And you are listening to The Silver King's War. <laughs>